The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at TNTradio.live. Be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning and a happy Monday to you. It's the 20th of November 2023. It's the start of a fresh new week. And uh, maybe like me, uh, you may not be quite feeling it this morning, lacking a bit of enthusiasm. But then I got told we're live apparently on video this morning too. So if you want to see our beautiful faces, uh, you can get on YouTube, maybe Rumble, Bitchute. Um, I'm not sure exactly even where it is, but yeah, uh, we have faces for radio that now you can actually go and watch too uh, and get yourself on the online chat. Uh, we are open line on TNT Radio. Uh, Natalie Chill, Rickman and Gemma Cooper are here, and but we want to know your thoughts. And, uh, you know, even if you disagree with us, because, of course, we are the station that advocates freedom of speech. We are unscripted. We are uncensored. And we read all your comments live on air. So, people, please get involved and tell us what you think. Uh, So what's been happening over the weekend then? Um, It seems people are not living in fear of a virus anymore. Well, why do I say that? Glastonbury tickets sold out in less than an hour. So maybe social distancing now is a thing of the past in in history. People don't seem to be bothered anymore. All those people in a field and less than an hour it's sold out too. Uh, There's been lots of publicity as well. And uh, that's been all about Nigel Farage going into I'm a celebrity get me out of here lots of differing opinions all over social media about that one well personally I think it's a terrible show regardless uh whether whatever your political opinions might be or on the people uh so I will be avoiding it like the plague and uh yeah eating bugs uh, and watching people for doing that in entertainment is it, not my idea of fun. So there we go. But uh, another story uh, that caught my eye, a bottle of whiskey, 100 years old, smashes the auction record this weekend. Uh, the Macallan Adami whiskey was bottled in 1986. Apparently, it's the most sought after bottle in the world. Uh, you can have a guess at how much it might have gone for, how much you might be willing to pay for a bottle of whiskey it went for 2.1 million pounds there was a bidding war at Sotheby's so I'm sure many of you are gutted you might not have found out about it because you might want it to try to put a bid in but no you have lost imagine how rich you must have to be to waste 2.1 million pounds on a bottle of whiskey but you'd probably be too drunk to notice the difference anyway of a cheap bottle and a 2.1 million bottle after you've had a few doubles anyway. So maybe the biggest waste of money you could ever spend. And lastly, there has been a new president uh, in Argentina who has been elected. He's been compared to Trump. Uh, he's got no prior government uh, experiment, experiment, experience. He uh, hates leftists by his own admission. He's anti-woke, apparently. And he's a former tantric sex coach well others on x are saying he's still uh on the wef website so who knows 
who knows what's going to go on in Argentina. Uh, so it's one to watch this space. Uh, it's certainly going to get interesting over there. So just take a quick pause with us and then we're going to talk to Gemma and Rick here at TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Morning, guys. How's your weekend been? It's been quiet, relaxing, and uh, thankfully I made it through, and here we are, locked and loaded, open-lined and all that business here on TNT Radio Live. Wow, we've done it. We're live on people's TV screens, and I hope it's not too traumatic for them. What do you think, Gemma? I think we're I think we we scrub up okay and uh, yeah faces for radio but voices for radio too and opinions for radio especially TNT so yeah we're unleashed we're unleashed on the public in full flow on the listeners and I think they're going to like it. Yeah, we do, and um, you're happy about Glastonbury tickets as well, Gemma. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been to Glastonbury a, a long time. I'm showing my age. I mean, I'm very upfront about my age. I'm 52 and how, how many? 52 and seven months and counting, fully into my middle years. My first ever Glastonbury was when I was 16 because I live not far from Glastonbury, about an hour away. And uh, I did my O levels. That shows how old I am. And then I jumped on the bus and I went to Glastonbury. In those days, there was no fence. You could just get in. And I've seen it evolve hugely. And I, I went a lot, a lot. And, and then I stopped because I kind of thought, there was a bit of an agenda at play uh, at that festival. It's become very woke, which we'll, we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but then, then I just thought it's still a really good party. So I, I went on. We had a syndicate going yesterday. A few people, and um, yeah, one of my friends got the tickets. So there's a few of us going, and uh, I'm maybe 52 and seven months and counting, but I still know how to have a good time. So yeah, I'll be having to beg Mike and Jenny and all the bosses at TNT Towers to give me some much needed time off in June because I might be a bit tired and emotional <laughs> after the festival. You do a live report. You could do a live report on Glassbury. Yeah. Maybe even uh, we could sponsor Glassbury next year. TNT radio, we could do away with all the wokeism. Like, uh, who was it? Esther McVeigh was appointed as the anti woke uh, minister for common sense for the government. Maybe you could be our anti woke minister for common sense for TNT, traveling the countryside, slapping banners up everywhere and waking people up. What do you reckon? Are you up for it? Yeah, brilliant. I'd absolutely love that. Yeah. And if, if uh, yeah, I could do a report from Glastonbury, easy now with technology, you can do anything from anywhere, can't we? So, yeah, mm. maybe I'll go and do, scout out a few things and talk to a few people, see see who's awake and who's not and spread the word about TNT. Yeah, I'll put that uh, I'll put that proposal to the bosses, see what they say. Yeah. But uh, maybe cheap whiskey and no two point one million pound bottles. <laughs> I don't think we'll see those at Glastonbury. Uh, but uh, talking about uh, cash and uh, this time, not a lot of it. What's our story this morning, Gemma? Well, it ties in with what we've just been talking about with woke, actually. So um, for the first time in the UK, there's been a proper audit done, a, a Freedom of Information Act, um, looking at this audit about um, how much of public money, our money, our hard-earned money, is uh, going to fund the woke movement in, in public funded bodies. So, I mean, the kind of woke agenda has, it's been acknowledged that schools and universities have gone down this road for quite a while, but now it's becoming increasingly apparent that our local authorities who basically are in charge of us on a local level uh, and the NHS uh, really are spending a huge amount of our cash on this. So almost every authority campaign is a saying um, is now inf infested, is the word they've used, which is interesting, with these politically correct mandarins who hold these extremely well-paid jobs, but they're kind of non-jobs, they're thought police jobs, basically. So uh, across the UK as a whole, 750 people 
in local authority positions are paid a total of nearly 30 million pounds to enforce things like equality, diversity, inclusiveness. And the campaigners are saying, look, if private sector companies want to do this and have these ridiculous kind of non-jobs, basically telling people what to think in the workplace, that's fine, the private sector, but this is taxpayers' money. And I mean, I know you've covered this story before here on um, on Open Line, but Birmingham City Council is uh, on the verge of bankruptcy. And just looking at some figures here, it's got debts of almost a billion, um, and yet it's got eighteen of these woke jobs within its within its um, staff, and it's costing the taxpayer in Birmingham at, at more than six hundred thousand pounds. And yet they're on the verge of bankruptcy. And also, you have to think our council tax bills—they went up five percent this year, and that money is supposed to be used to do things like fix our potholes, collect our rubbish, you know, make sure our services are running smoothly, clean up our parks and uh, empty our lakes when they need dredging, that kind of thing. None of that seems to be getting done, yet they've got the money, a huge amount of money, 28 million on these positions. So the first time it's really been cohesively illustrated that this is an agenda, this this kind of um, politically correct control mechanism of behavior it is definitely an agenda so the question is and, it, and it's worth a bit of digging on our part i think is what shadowy think tanks and government departments are obviously telling local authorities right we're going to give you these targets for diversity and equality and 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 inclusiveness and unconscious bias and all the things that i had to do a few of those when i was still at the bbc which is a public body it's obviously coming from somewhere it's everywhere it's the same agenda everywhere you look so it's coming from on high and i wouldn't wager it wasn't coming from somewhere like the wef or you know world health organization that type of thing because it's everywhere and it's not just this country is it no, it's not. And what, what do you think, Rick? Uh, a town hall audit reveals 750 employees are paid up to 28 million for equality, diversity and inclusion roles. I take it you agree with that money well spent? No, well, I tell you, the big problem with this is that if they're bringing these people in to do these roles, they should be paid minimum wage, okay? Because to me, uh, they're not adding anything to the company. They're just ticking boxes. They're usually diversity hires. They're trying to pump uh, stuff that we don't really believe in or that is basic common sense for most people. So the thing is, when they're also brought in, I think it brings a lot of resentment to the workforce. So imagine you've been working in a in a job for a long time, you're struggling to make ends meet, and all of a sudden you're introduced to your new equality manager or, you, or your new uh, inclusion manager or whatever title they have. They're always on big money. They're always getting in an office on their own. They're swanning around grinning at people, dropping management speak catchphrases. And in reality, I think people actually resent them in the workforce because people have been busting their asses doing real jobs in a lot of offices for a long time and then all of a sudden hey meet the new diversity hire they've got no experience they're straight out of university uh they're, they're going to be on 70 grand a year they've got a nice pension they've got you know swanning around on benefits so i think not only uh, is it a complete waste of money but i think the money that's being wasted also hacks off the workforce because they're thinking hey i could have got a christmas bonus this year instead we're funding uh you know mickey diversity hire or uh, joanna inclusion here and uh, i don't think it's for the best at all stick them on minimum yeah. wage uh, make them work uh, out of their car in the car park and I guarantee you nobody will be taking up these rules yeah I mean I, I think it's insulting and a massive waste of money I, I don't know anybody in real life that uh, that agrees with these roles 
And my problem is like kind of the democracy of it as well. When was this agreed by the people? I mean, like take the NHS, you've got nurses, you know, who, who are working really, really hard. Um, and, you know, that we've heard strikes, they don't think they're being paid enough. Yet these people coming in much, much higher with very little experience or medical knowledge being paid thousands and thousands more um well wh- wh- who voted this in you know the people did we, we uh, it hasn't been has it so who is making the des- decisions and why uh, particularly it's across the board in any of these big organizations why are we getting so many so many of these roles and and do we even need them is is that actually as much discrimination and racism as they're claiming there is to be in the normal person? Or is this another thing that the mainstream media um, and the government is pushing, Gemma? Well, I think you, you two both alluded to it there is like that we didn't ask for this. It's just exactly like a rerun of the last three and a half years. We, we didn't ask for any of this. It's being foisted upon us. But what is interesting is the scale of it. If you look at this, this uh, freedom of information request and the audit, the actual audit that was carried out, it's very clear it's being foisted upon these organizations. They've obviously got targets. Um, and I know from my time at the BBC, it's an open, it's, no, I'm not breaking any confidentiality here. The BBC had these targets and obviously BBC is public funded. And it was suddenly, it was come, it, it was exactly like, you know when something's orchestrated because it comes out of nowhere and suddenly it's everywhere. You know, it comes out of nowhere and suddenly everybody's doing it. That's that's orchestration. That's coming from on high. I'm going to go away and do a bit of research into where this is all coming from, because it's clear that there's an agenda to this. And the agenda is control of thought, which will lead to control of behavior. And even if you don't agree with these things and you, you raise your eyebrows and despair when the new diversity manager walks in because you're a reasonable human being, it's nothing against the person in the role. It's the role itself. Even if you don't agree with any of it, you will do it to keep your job. You know, you will, you won't buck against the system because you can only be hauled in one too many times for not attending a diversity meeting and then put on a disciplinary for not, you know, going to one of these things. You'll just capitulate. So even if inside you don't agree, your behavior on the outside will go along with company policy. And then that causes a lot of stress to humans, actually, because if you hold cognitive dissonance for too long, the real you on the inside and what you're being asked to do on the outside, you will crack. I should know. It happened to me at the Beeb. Um, so it's a very dangerous, pernicious agenda, but it's it's absolutely everywhere now. And these campaigners are jumping up and down in arms and saying, it's, it's you know, we, enough is enough. But I think we're at the start. It's going to get worse. It won't just be public bodies. It'll be everything. You won't be able to get onto a bus until you've completed some kind of tick box exercise and some electric panel on the front to show you you're an inclusive person. That's where it's going to go. Whole scale control of human behavior through this. I truly believe that. Yeah. Well, Bloden on the, um, you go, Rick. No, I was going to say I had the misfortune of sitting in a little quiet independent cafe last week drinking a divine cappuccino and two ladies walked in loud ladies do you know why they were loud because i had my earphones in listening to metal and i could still hear them talking over my acdc uh back in black soundtrack and they sat down and they started talking about this one of them must have been an inclusion type manager and this is the first thing she came out with she said i've just delivered my first course on diversity and it's called Diversity begins with I. 
And they both sat there complimenting each other and what a wonderful breakthrough that was. And it made me want to made me want to uh, regurgitate some of my delicious, freshly ground <laughs> cappuccino into my cup. Diversity begins with I make me oh. want to puke. I couldn't sit through that. I would have to be sacked. Please, Mike, yeah. don't introduce a diversity training for TNT. That's all no. I'm going to say. Yeah, we don't want them here. I was going to say, blown and on the online chat says diversity officers have taken over from health and safety idiots, uh, but they're probably there still too. Um, I just think it's also hypocritical because we're talking about being equal, but actually it's not about being equal because it's about positive discrimination. Um, if we were equal, we would be putting everyone at the same level, but that's not been happening. It's minority groups are seen now to be above anybody else. So not only are these roles highly paid uh they're controversial and hypocritical too so many talking points on that one uh so i can only say thank you to Gemma for bringing that one to us she'll be back uh tomorrow at this time and uh, in the next hour with rick and locked and loaded too and we've got more stories to cover here at tnt radio after the break. tnt radio's rick munn i'm looking also at south africa in terms of uh, escom which is a company that we have talked about a lot here that's the south african Electricity provider Escom has posted a massive 24 billion rand loss for 2022-2023 financial year, exacerbated by a huge escalation in load shedding, which is basically blackouts, for want of a better expression, mounting municipal debt and skyrocketing losses due to criminal activity. That's both within the company, I would say, and outside of the company. The group presented its first full year financials for the 12 months ending 31st of March on Tuesday. It's said year was characterized by a significant deterioration of performance, including a steep decline in energy availability of 56%, down from 62%. So half the country are having difficulty getting any electricity at all. And most places are undergoing what's called uh, load shedding, which means for up to 10 hours per day, you could be disconnected from the electricity supply in South Africa. Locked and loaded with Rick Munn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Affordable housing. We can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax experts dedicated to offering unique solutions that provide a brighter future. Our Opportunity Zone Fund offers investors both real estate and operating business diversification, five-year tax deferral on capital gains, annual tax benefits, and ultimately tax-free appreciation potential. There are Opportunity Zones all over America. If you're interested in learning more about our services, need affordable housing, or want to participate in creating a new vision for tomorrow, give us a call in the U.S. on 385-985-5702 or read more at MITModular.com. MIT Modular. We can build that. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio.
Yeah. Welcome back. The lines are open. If you're brave enough and you want to go see our faces, there is a link in the online chat at tntradio.live that Mike Ryan has put there. Um, uh, we have a comment as well from Spyro Gyro. He said, uh, now we know where Dee's been. He's off having uh, facial reconstruction surgery ahead of going on YouTube. But I'm afraid you're wrong. He's, he's on with Rick tomorrow. So you can get mm. to see uh, Darren's face as well uh, by logging on. Uh, moving on uh, from the last story, uh, this is another one of uh, ridiculous uh, spending. The Vice Chancellor of Imperial College London received the biggest pay rise across all UK universities with a bump of £186,000. Professor Alice Gast, the former president, um, she uh, basically earned £714,000 um, with a, then a basic pay of three. £365,000 too. It's absolutely unbelievable. She also had an official investigation of bullying uh, and she had to come out and apologise. And uh, she's behind all of the uh, scientific investigation behind COVID-19, Neil Ferguson and uh, new research um, pushing the ULES uh, charges as well, Rick. What do you think about this? Someone, well, a vice president, earning this much money and getting everything wrong at the same time. Well, if she was being paid 186,000 quid on her own, that would have been bad enough as it is, but she's actually had a pay increase of 186,000 pounds. So basically her salary, her total remuneration, including salary of benefits was 714,000 pounds. Basic pay, as you say, of 365 grand through 2021, 2022. And you have to ask yourself, what does this woman actually do? What does she do to validate that salary? And as you've uh, pointed out, she was uh, responsible for COVID statistics, COVID guidance, and as well, ULES investigation and research. Basically, anytime you see the words Imperial College London together, you have to take it with a pinch of salt and you have to have a healthy dose of scepticism uh, with anything that comes out of that institution. So there's another story um, that we're going to be covering uh, in the second hour, actually, with Gemma and also my guest in Lock and Load of Ben Pyle. It's the debunking of the ULES facts and figures that uh, Sadiq Khan now has to give an account of. But of course, he was taking those figures from this woman and her cohorts in Imperial College London. And with that kind of money, you would like to think that they're at least providing factual information or information that people are actually using to better the country, not run it into the ground based on absolute bunkum, which is what all Neil Ferguson's statistical modelling has ever been. But yet the man still keeps his job. How he does it is beyond me now. Yeah, absolutely. And this is some interesting facts. In 2021, Imperial researchers produced a report into Sadiq Khan's proposed ULES expansion, finding it contributed only marginally to air quality improvements. Well, after some big funding, yeah, Professor Kelly um, has been paid more than 800000 then by Mr Khan's office. Funny enough, after that, they changed their mind and say that ULES has helped to dramatically reduce air pollution. So a complete turnaround of events after a massive bit of funding. And uh, Howard Fox, founder of the Fair 
Fuel UK campaign said London taxpayers have helped to finance Imperial College's studies to show that Sadiq Khan's political anti-driver agenda is indeed working. It stinks that the former president of the Imperial has wallowed in such a significant pay rise whilst motorists have been so unnecessarily hit hard in the pocket. Yeah, exceptionally unfair. And I think that quote got it all right in one. These these people, by the way, also are the equivalent, I think, of professional footballers when it comes to public servants. So for my opinion, no professional footballers worth, I don't know, whatever they get paid, 100, 120,000 quid a week or half a million pound a week, whatever some of them are on. These people are the civil servant type equivalents of that, uh, whether on anybody that's on a salary of 700 grand a year, that's almost 60,000 quid a month. How on earth can that be justified in any way, shape or form? It is not. You should have to prove uh, what you're doing uh, to, to be able to to get that type of money and at least have a good track record or at least be providing facts and figures that aren't being debunked in the, the mainstream media of all places. So it's it's obscene. It's obscene, especially in a cost of living crisis. That woman didn't have to take the pay rise. She did said, look, I'm already on, you know, half a million a year. I really don't need yep. that other £186,000 a year. But of course, greed being greed, the love of money is the root of all evil. They'll take it. They'll grab it with both hands. And I'm not even sure you might know the answer to this. Who actually pays for the universities? Do the government give all of the universities like a certain amount of funding? Do they do they make their own funding? Obviously, there are student fees uh, and, and stuff like this. But uh, this is more of an imperial college. So where is this money? Who is actually paying her wage? This this basically well, nearly one one million. Well, well, we all know uh, that certain individuals around the world with very deep pockets, billionaires, are exerting an influence on media stations, on uh, newspapers, and also on colleges and campuses and think tanks. So Gates Foundation, for example, through the Blur Institute, funds a lot of these uh, think tank people and funds their wages because they know they're extremely influential and the information that they're being put out there will be used to change public policy. So a lot of it comes from uh, behind the scenes donors buying an influence in universities and institutions as well. So there's that to factor in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we always say on uh, this show, it would be really nice uh, if some of these institutions were more accountable and uh, that, you know, it was more transparent. We would like to see where all their funding actually comes from. Um, and uh, it should be public knowledge. You should be able to just go on a website and uh, all the other thing that they've said in the past, you know, like Formula One drivers, uh, they have to show all their advertising uh, when, mm. when they're racing. It'd be nice if these same people could have to have badges on saying yeah, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or Sadiq Khan and who's mm. actually paying for them and their research. But I think we're a little bit of a way off uh, that just yet. Uh, we've got to take a quick break for the headlines um, and then we've got lots more stories to cover here at TNT Radio. Now, TNT Radio News. You are completely obsessed with breaking news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Footage has emerged of Israeli forces cheering as they level yet another mosque in Gaza. US presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy has delivered a sensational takedown of CNN live on air. A man's been jailed for more than 700 years in California for sexually assaulting over a dozen children in his care. And the CEO of Australia's second largest telecommunications network has quit following last week's nationwide outage. The common housefly. Caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then 
dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Okay, uh, basically we have a story here now coming in from Northern Ireland, my old stomping ground, of course. Paramilitary-style shootings are on the rise again in Northern Ireland. This was a thing of the past, or at least we thought it was a thing of the past. There were not only fatal shootings, people murdering each other, but there was a lot of what were called punishment shootings. So in uh, local areas, when the police weren't stepping in and taking care of business, uh, joyriders and petty criminals used to have uh, vigilante mob-type justice where they would be shot in the ankles and the wrists and the knees and the elbows in some cases. Uh, so that was starting to die out over time. But now the police service of Northern Ireland have said that 19 people were victims of these shootings between the 1st of November 2022 and 31st of October 2023. In the previous 12 months, there were only seven victims. So it doesn't sound like much, but it's an increase of almost 200% and they might are almost 300% actually and the amount of people that were shot in this style over the previous 12 months so there's a lady called Megan Fair from the pressure group Stop Attacks described the increase as a massive concern and paramilitary style shootings uh, usually result as a unfortunately pointed out, and the injured party being shot in the kneecaps, the elbows, the feet, the ankles, or the thighs, the police say, and the motive is supposed to punish the person for anti-social activities. So this is on the rise again, Natalie. And of course, questions are being asked as to why this is happening. And one of the findings uh, that this think tank has came up with has said that, uh, that at the core of all this is grooming of disenfranchised disillusioned youth in deprived or depraved areas or areas of deprivation, you know, where there's not a lot of money, there's high unemployment, high poverty and so on and so forth, high rates of drug use. These are uh, recruiting grounds for a lot of organizations, uh, unsavory organizations, and they're simply sucking up uh, young recruits because they've got no jobs, they've got no social services, they've got no leisure centres. These are all being closed down. Places are being closed down. And of course, then kids are taking to the streets where they're being groomed, for want of a better expression, and brought into the ranks of these organisations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I uh, read the article, like parliamentary style shootings, you know, I watch a lot of um, kind of gangster dramas and stuff and whether it's in America or the UK and now reading Northern Ireland, that's what you kind of associate with. It's like punishment uh, for not doing what you're told, almost kind of like gang type violence. I'm presuming it's more political uh, based over in Northern Ireland. Uh, but we talk about a lot uh, this a lot on the show anyway. Um, they're calling it grooming. Uh, but we've said it, there's a massive problem with the youth and, and this is everywhere um, of gang type violence because there's nothing for them to do in areas of poverty um you know there used to be kind of even youth clubs around where i am there's no youth clubs anymore um you know it's so people are bored like it's almost easy just to go out onto the streets and if you're in those type of council estates it's almost part of the culture and the uh, and the fashion it's what you do uh is there anything being set up whether it be here in the uk or london and in 
this instance in Northern Ireland. Can you see things being set up for the youth to get them off the street, to get them interested? I mean, for my sons, to give you an example, I take them, you know, after school, we go climbing on a Monday, uh, cadets on a Tuesday, swimming on a Wednesday, uh, rugby on a Thursday. You know, I kind of try and keep my kids busy. You know, if you can keep your kids busy, it keeps them off the streets. But is that actually happening on any any real level or are the government even trying to put that in place? Well, I mean, it would be wrong to say that it's not happening. I think what I'm trying to say is that it's happening less than it was because yes. of lack of funding and community projects are falling by the wayside. So there are a lot of great community projects happening in Northern Ireland here. And of course, there's a lot of good parents who are doing the right thing by their kids. But as we've uh, documented over the last year, year and a half, you and I, since we've been talking together on the radio, uh, councils are getting squeezed, budgets are being cut. And when budgets are being cut, services are affected and a lot of services include uh, youth outreach programs or uh, summer schemes, for example, for youth and one thing and another. So I think it's more a case of this has uh, started the rot in here and we're starting to see an increase in the amount of these incidences. But it would be wrong to say that stuff isn't being done. I'm just saying that the funding lack of funding is impacting this negatively and we're starting to see it on the rise again. And if nothing's done about it, Natalie, it'll continue to grow, uh, I would dare and say, course, uh, into next year. And of course, we're in a cost of living crisis and and the funding's being cut as we speak. You know, day by day, we're getting more and more news reports. Uh, so it certainly doesn't look like anything's going to improve there. We do have a positive story, though, for a change. It, it kind of links directly uh, to what we've been talking about. Uh, this is a men's group that's been set up. So it's not for youth, but um, it's been set up at a country park with the aim of boosting its members' mental health. It's called Tree Fellas, and it runs once a month at Urchester County Park near Wellingborough. Uh, and participants take part in the sessions, um, and it's doing uh, woodwork, firelighting, arts, crafts, um, uh, but mainly for men who can just go there, um, kind of more manly activities. When mm -hmm. I say arts and crafts, I don't think they're sticking uh, pieces of glitter and sequins on cards and sending them off or anything. It's uh, it's more, you know, getting the axe out and uh, get, getting your tools out. Uh, uh, but they said, yeah, we sit around the fire, have a little chat. There's a practical side. Um, and uh, the ranger there said, it really uplifts my mood. That's why I've started it. Started it. A lot of men get, get going there, getting involved. This is the type of thing we need to see. Uh, going back to the last story as well, more community projects, more social groups. Um, I think a lot of the kind of delusion um, uh, that we've got at the moment, uh, people being so demoralised, is people are bored. P people haven't got that meaning. They haven't got this purpose. These type of groups, uh, uh, you know, community spirit, it can make a difference, can't it, Rick? Uh, I, I'll tell you it can, and I'll, uh, this links in really well with the last story that we were talking about, about the punishment shooting. So just before the scandemic started, uh, I was involved in two men's groups, which were brilliant. One of them was a small group of six for older men. I was actually the youngest person in the group. So there were six of us got together on a Wednesday night. Uh, we talked, it was actually a Bible study that we had, but it really did everybody good to come away from work and just get together in a room together, open up, uh, talk about life, and then go back back to our own jobs again or back to our own families again. There was another group that I was involved in, which was a group of youth, uh, all young fellas. Uh, probably whenever the group started, there was six people and then it grew up to 30 people. They met every 
Thursday night, and it was brilliant as well. It was uh, we did five aside, uh, we did uh, group activities that had residentials and away days. It was fantastic, Natalie, because it was an in an area that was uh, let's just say subject to uh, you know social deprivation. Okay, so the kids that all went into that did they, they all did good because of it. But then when the scandemic came, uh, this all stopped. Uh, the places that we were supposed to be meeting up in stopped and people didn't want to come together anymore. And sadly, a lot of the young lads, especially in the youth group, uh, fell back into the into the ways of the world. And then they started hanging out with negative influences because there was nowhere for them to go on the Thursday night, or at least as a counterbalance to what they were being exposed to in the real world. So I'm a big believer in men's groups, uh, because men traditionally as well don't open up much about their feelings. They tend to bottle things up and try and be the tough guy and they don't want to, you know, get emotional and, you know, each to their own. But I'm saying, especially in Northern Ireland, the incidences of suicide among young men are the highest in the world per capita of population. There's a real, and there's uh, men are much more likely to, uh, to commit suicide than women are, especially where I live. So I think it's crucial that there are men's groups that are at least there for people to go to if they need them and uh, they should be taken advantage of. But sadly, some of them uh, go to the wall and the doors close down because yep. of various factors. Yeah, that and and so many groups, so many uh, social activities were closed over COVID. They are all coming back. Uh, but it's I think one of the big challenges we've got uh, is getting people off the digital world and back into the real world because so many people are addicted to their phones, are addicted to social media, um, you know, and, and they see their friends as being on that. You know, it's easy to get consumed. You can, you can go on there for five minutes and then be stuck on there for hours. Uh, so especially for the youth, um, you know, we spoke about women's groups uh, that were running there uh, last week. They had uh, walking groups. They had meet up groups. There are men's group here. I mean, you can even start a group your, yourself, um, you know, in uh, your yes. own area. Yes. You know, that's something that people can think about doing because, you know, often we talk about uh, what can you do yourself? This makes a big difference. You know, if, if you think there isn't one about, then then start looking at doing something yourself. It only has to start off small and it's getting people mm -hmm. out there and talking because that's what the government don't want. Uh, that They, they want to be selling you a mainstream message via social media. They don't want people meeting up in the real world and actually having a chat. Uh, so we got to take a uh, quick break. And uh, when we come back, uh, we've got uh, we've got a story. Oh, this is a this is an unbelievable one about um, more uh, transitioning uh, a teddy bear this time, a teddy bear story in schools at TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place. Now 
now is the time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, go to safeplacetosleep.org today. You're with Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, this is a story I saw in the Daily uh, Fail uh, yesterday. Uh, a video exposes trans indoctrination in primary schools. We've covered this quite a lot before. Uh, the kind of curriculum or what some schools and some head teachers are pushing, the kind of LGBTQIA or this particular uh, one. It's a, a controversial inclusion group called No Outsiders. And they are pushing, it's a book about a teddy bear. And they want this book read in all primary schools. Um, it's about a teacher telling 10-year-olds how an unhappy boy, and he's uh, oh, it's an unhappy boy teddy bear, um, wants to be a teddy girl. Um, and the story says, Thomas the teddy took a deep breath. I need to be myself, Errol. In my heart, I've always known I'm a girl teddy, not a boy, Teddy. I wish my name was Tilly, not Thomas. Is that why you've been so sad? Errol asked. That's just a uh, part of the dialogue. So you can imagine uh, the kind of rest of the story. And there was a video there as well. So we've actually seen a teacher been reading it out. What do you think, Rick? Do you think this is appropriate content for children in primary schools to be reading out? Now, listen, this is just the same old, same old again and again and again. There's a picture here of some uh, deviant called Andrew Moffat. The group is run by a teacher called Andrew Moffat. Pictured, sells 20 pounds, teaching guides for babies and children uh, aged from birth to 11 that present gender ideology as fact. And listen, they say you shouldn't judge 
a book by cover, but I'm looking at this guy and I'm looking at the smug grin on his face as he's peddling this filth uh, to children and schools. And, you know, say you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but he looks like a wrong one to me, if you know what I mean. And ironically, uh, the sort of business where we're talking about these punishment shootings in Northern Ireland that happened during the Troubles, if you were caught around primary schools, if you were caught interfering with children or trying to corrupt children, you would have been severely beaten and maybe shot through the kneecaps. So what I'm trying to say to you is, and I'm not advocating violence in any way, shape or form, because that's not what we do here in TNT. But people like that back in the day would have been severely dealt with uh, by local organizations if they were in schools, in school premises, talking to children, they would have been arrested or beaten. Now, they're being paid to go in there. They're being allowed to talk to children. They're being allowed to try and pervert and corrupt children. I just don't understand it. Uh, and, and still, the parents accept it. Because remember, this can't happen without parental acceptance. If every parent was to pull their children from the school and say they won't be back until the teacher's gone or withdraw their children from school, the school would, would collapse because they rely on funding. It's up to five to seven and a half thousand pounds per child that's registered in the school. So all it takes is a hundred parents to say no, and that's three quarters of a million pounds of school funding gone. The teachers will lose their jobs and the school will shut down. Believe me, people need to vote with their feet because Articles in the newspaper, us talking about it doesn't cut the mustard. Parents need to be proactive yeah. with their children and get them the hell out of those schools. And trust me, it's like the trans uh, women uh, that are uh, infiltrating women's events or men that are infiltrating women's events. For as long as women tolerate it, they'll be allowed to continue. But last week we were talking about pool pool players and there was a boxer withdrew from a, a boxing match, a basketball team last year. We talked about unless there's actual action, uh, this will continue to go on, sadly, Natalie. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, Andrew Moffat, his name is, who is the boss from No Outsiders here, he disagrees with you, Rick. He says mm. children must be encouraged and indeed taught to explore identity and develop confidence in who they are as they navigate childhood and adolescence. Well, Mr. Moffat, I don't agree with you and nor does a parent here. She said, my daughter told me uh, she had this lesson about this teddy bear book. It's a dangerous message to send to children who are struggling. My child has ADHD and there's a book telling them about if they are unhappy, they could be in the wrong body well i completely agree with her it's a completely unnecessary message and um as she said a dangerous one you know we should be trying to teach children about being secure in themselves feeling confident in themselves not well if you're unhappy maybe you should go and take some puberty blockers and go change your sex or at worst case maybe you know go and take a part of your body off because that will make you happy won't it rick yeah, I would love to meet uh, Andrew Moffat. If Andrew Moffat and I could sit down in a room together, just the two of us with uh, no CCTV and no witnesses, I'm sure I could re-educate Mr. Moffat on how to approach children and how to deal with children correctly. And if he's listening, believe me, the offer's there. I am prepared to travel anywhere in the UK if he wants to have a sit down. Uh, just he and I, even we could have it in a car park somewhere uh, outside, uh, you know, away from prying eyes. I would happily... Uh, instill some good old-fashioned educational values back into Mr. Moffat's skull, but I don't think that's going to happen to you. Uh, 
no. Uh, uh, normally with these people, uh, they like they like to give a a nice quote uh, for the mainstream media, and then they're nowhere to be found. Uh, parents can't speak to them. Schools can't speak to them. Just uh, uh, they get they escape uh, any accountability, as we so often see with governments as well. Uh, we've got a story here as well, um, a sad story as well, because we covered this last week. David uh, McBride, um, he's been on your show a couple of times. I believe he does a weekend yep. show on TNT as well. Um, he has had to plead guilty unfortunately um i know you know much more about this so i'll let you talk about it and he will be sentenced early next year uh so uh really sad news uh because i'm um, assuming um i mean he might uh be sentenced more leniently for pleading guilty but it he's looking at jail time i would imagine now after yeah, pleading it, guilty it's a horrendous state of affairs uh with david basically did the right thing he was a whistleblower uh for the australian army i uh, helped expose allegations of australian war crimes in afghanistan uh ended up there was a report that he leaked that showed that 39 uh, innocent afghanis were allegedly killed by uh, members of the australian defense force he's an ex-military lawyer he said he felt a moral duty to speak up after his internal complaints were ignored so he did try and bring this through uh, the military Terry initially uh, his concerns were ignored so therefore he went to the newspapers or he went to the mainstream media with this specifically the ABC or the Australian Broadcasting Corporation because he was concerned uh, he pleaded guilty on Friday to three charges of stealing and unlawfully sharing secret uh, military information and the reason why he did that was because his whistleblower defense was effectively uh, shot out of the water by the judge who said that you're uh you're uh, duty to obey orders overrides what you perceive to be a duty to the Australian people. So I think this is going to be a horrendous uh, PR disaster for the Australian government uh, should he be prosecuted because there's a huge amount of public support uh, for David McBride here. And I mean, it, uh, he's a lovely, lovely man. I've had the pleasure of talking to him. And actually, the last time we spoke was about mental health. We spent a whole hour talk because his head has been turned. Not like you can imagine the pressure that he's under facing up to 50 years in prison the rest oh. of his natural life as a result wow. of doing this and i mean it, he, he got really fit he got into boxing he's got the most lovely dog uh he really bonded with this thing he's a lovely guy he's just a lovely guy and he knows his stuff but they're trying to scapegoat him for this as if to say uh, you shall not do what the government does not want you to do and if you do we're going to make an example of you so i'm hoping and believing that there's a huge upswell of public opinion that uh, rides this and uh, this case gets thrown out basically because he did the right thing and he exposed murder. He, multiple, 39 people, Natalie. And he's the one going to prison for exposing this? Yeah, I, I mean, I just think we've we've covered this on the show a lot. We know that uh, paedophiles uh, are now sentenced leniently and they've had to go to appeal. We've got murderers, we've got rapists, and here we are, someone who was morally and ethically trying to do the right thing. Uh, advocates say his case showed that Australia's whistleblower protections are not strong enough. This is a dark day for democracy in Australia, says Rez uh, Patrick, a former senator and founder 
founder of the Whistleblower Justice Fund. Yet to me, I mean, this must be not just in Australia, but in all Western countries, there has to be more protection, surely, um, and laws in place for people who are trying to expose corruption. Um, And obviously, the governments don't want them in place because um, it it gives them protection to carry on uh, being as corrupt as they want. And instead, uh, someone like David McBride trying to do the right thing could end up with more time in jail than a murderer or a rapist, Rick. Yep. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, If you think about it, just think about this. The people uh, that committed the murders are not on trial. The person that exposed the people that committed the murders is on trial, has had the plea guilty. Apparently, he's going to be sentenced at the beginning of next year. So can you imagine the pressure that'll be over the Christmas period? Uh, you know, he's got he's got a family. Uh, he's got a life that he's been building up uh, outside of, uh, you know, all the stress that he's been under over the last two to three years. And all that effectively could be scuppered next year if he has to go to prison. It's an absolute uh, travesty. And I do hope and believe there was a push to get this case dropped. It wasn't done. So maybe between now and then, there'll be a huge groundswell of public opinion that'll go against, uh, you know, the the powers that be. And maybe just maybe sanity will prevail and they will drop this case. Yeah, I, I, I truly hope so. Before we quickly move on to the next story, others in the online chat has said Julian Assange, others have said Free Assange. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeffro has said there was talk of an intensive corrections order. I think that will mean a short sentence. So I hope so, even more so. I hope uh, the case is dropped, but we will bring uh, more on that case uh, when it comes in. Uh, we've got a final story for you. Criminal barristers across Northern Ireland are on strike over pay delays. We've seen a lot strikes um, over the UK and Ireland uh, recently, but this is a new one. The strike is going ahead despite the Department of Justice announcing a further 10.9 million to improve payment times for legal aid. Uh, basically, after a vote, uh, 200 barristers uh, voted uh, to go on strike because they're not getting paid by the Department of Justice when they're doing legal aid. Uh, Six months it's taking. That's uh, how the red uh, tape and bureaucracy works. Would you be be very happy, Rick, if you were doing some work for the government legal aid and then you were getting having to wait over six months before you got paid? I can I can see where where they're a little bit annoyed. I can. I can see where they're coming from. But I have also been in a position where I worked for a large multinational bank dealing predominantly with uh, barristers in Northern Ireland. And let me say this, if there's someone out there that could afford uh, for the government not to pay an invoice for up to six months, it's probably a barrister to the extent that, and yes, listen, I'm not saying they shouldn't be paid on time. If you do your job, you should be paid in time, but they're not getting 50 pound invoices here or 60 quid invoices here. They could be getting hundreds upon hundreds of thousands yes. of pounds at a time. They're usually extremely well off. You know, it's not like they're, you know, living hand to mouth uh, each time and the money's in the pipeline. So all I'm saying to you is, yes, I agree. They should be paid on time if they've done the work. But if they have to wait up to six months, they won't be destitute. They won't be working a second job at the weekend, taxing or delivering uh, delivery orders to people uh, to make ends meet and pay the mortgage. The barristers are not destitute. And if you look at the picture uh, that uh, is in that article in the Belfast Telegraph, there's three three young barristers in there. I don't know what age they are. They look like they're in their mid-twenties. They don't look very hard up to me, uh, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, they won't be uh, busking at the weekends to make ends yeah. meet. So yeah, pay them. But for them to go on strike, listen, there's 200 of them. That means it's grinding the court system to halt. It's throwing a big spanner in the works. And they've already been allocated 
11 million quid to get this process yeah. that's just been done to get this process speeded up and they're still not bloody happy with it i don't know maybe stick that like the diversity people stick them on minimum wage for six months and see how they like that instead and stop their moaning and their crying about getting paid that's all i'm saying and yes yeah, barristers yeah, I must I must admit, uh, when I read it was barristers. Um, and yes, it is wrong uh, to get yeah. there to wait six months for payment. Nobody's uh, arguing that. But uh, they get paid extremely well. Um, and uh, I doubt I, I doubt even with the cost of living crisis, uh, they are struggling and uh, not being able to pay their mortgage, waiting for that payment to come in. Uh, one of the bar barristers did make a quote, legal aid is at the heart of the justice system with studies showing that there are social and economic benefits to come from increased public investment in legal aid. The now, the now intolerable payment delays risk turning away many of our colleagues from representing the most vulnerable citizens in society facing the most challenging of circumstances so i like it now that the rich barristers are saying that the poor will suffer uh, even more because they are <laughs> going to go on strike but this is listen they're nothing better than dentists right if dentists are like we're not getting any we're not getting enough for nhs they'll just say we're going private we're not taking nhs anymore so all these barristers have to do yeah. is say we're not taking legal aid anymore not like they've still got a huge portfolio of private clients that they're making all their money from the legal aid stuff is just money butter bread butter on the bread as it were so even if they don't do legal aid work from here on in they're lining their pockets well with private clients and there's only 200 of them in the whole of Northern Ireland. So there's plenty of uh, plenty of feeding uh, to be had at the trough when they get their noses, their snouts into the trough, uh, plenty of food to be had by those barristers. Yeah, so maybe there's an argument as well that, that uh, morally and ethically they should have taken the uh, further 10.9 million that was offered them to start with to help the most poor rather than going on strike and helping uh, the, the poor even less and uh, making sure that there are even bigger court delays and problems for them. So yeah, you decide uh, in the online chat. Uh, we're coming to a close. That's our first session on uh, video tomorrow i'll make the effort and i'll put some makeup on and and hopefully it'll be nicer to look at uh, but um i've enjoyed our first time on video i hope you have too uh, i will be back the same time tomorrow at 9 a.m uh, carry on listening to rick uh, for locked and loaded and this has uh, been open line on tnt radio and i have been natalie chill bye bye